I believe in angels, dreams, and visions. Let me tell you why. The reason I believe in angels, dreams, and visions is because I've experienced quite a number of them um, on a number of occasions, and I want to share those with you today. Let me tell you of my wonderful experiences with God. I didn't uh, look for any of these. Um, I didn't even expect any of these. But they had a tremendous effect upon my life. And so God showed through these dreams and visions and even um, an angel appearing to me that he was passionate about my life, that my life was in his hands and that he cared about every tiny detail of my life. And God doesn't have favorites. If he's that passionate about my life, he's just as passionate about your life. And so um, he also is very concerned about where you spend eternity. And I used not to care. You know, who cares? I don't care. Um, maybe you're like I used to be, um, but let me continue in my story. And so it, my story begins when I was at school. I was about um, 13 years old. I was a very ordinary little schoolgirl. I didn't do particularly well. I wasn't in the inset. I was rather in the outset, really. Um, and at our school, we had to wear pinafores. And we had um, the end of term assembly. And what would happen often is that the girls who sat behind you would untie your pinafore strings and tie them to your chair so that when the headmistress came and you stood up, there'd be a clatter and a bang and, you know, you'd be in trouble. And so I felt somebody touching me on the back and I swirled round, you know, to tell the girls off behind me. And my eyes were wide open. This is called an open vision. My eyes were wide open. I was wide awake. The girls on the hall had totally disappeared, and there was this mighty angel, I would say between uh, nine and ten feet tall, an amazing bright light. And I th it was such a feeling of peace and love, and I thought, oh, you're so beautiful. And I was just absolutely entranced. I don't know how long I looked at this beautiful angel. And then I thought, oh, I'll have to turn around, otherwise I'll get into trouble with the headmistress. And I turned around, and I thought, oh, just one more peek. That angel was so beautiful. And I turned around, no angel, girl sitting there, hauled back in its place. And you might say, oh, Pastor Hillary, what on earth was the, you know, the reason uh, for having a, um, a vision like that? All I know is that up to that point, I had done rather badly at school. After that point, I began to do well. I had more confidence. Um, and so these dreams and visions have actually been softening my heart towards God. And a few weeks later, the dreams started. And I had been very poorly. I was always having fainting fits and not being very well and being sent home. And this dream that I had is so vivid. I remember it to this day. And I was, what, 13 and a half at the time. And in it, I dreamt that I was in the school driveway, and I collapsed. I was faint, and I was not feeling very well. And I remember crying out to God and saying, I want to be different. I don't always want to be weak. And God's voice came to me, and he said, you will not always be like this. There will be a time in your life 
when you will be strong and you will be helping others and holding them up. And then he showed me a picture of myself um, in the future. And I was strong and I was confident and I was radiant. All of those I had never been in my life before. And that held me for years, actually. And I don't think I ever want to forget that dream. And then when I was in my 20s, I had another very vivid dream. And in it, I was in a place that I knew, actually, that had a beautiful grand staircase. And I was coming down this grand staircase all by myself. And I thought, this must lead to somewhere really beautiful. And I got to the bottom, and I was amazed because it was a dead end. It was a, a scruffy passageway, a bit like a prison. And it felt bad, really bad. And I turned around quickly, and I started going up the stairs. But hundreds of people were coming down this wide staircase. And I was saying to them, go, don't go this way. It's the wrong way. You're in danger. Turn around. Go back but nobody took any notice of me. So I pushed my way past them to a place of safety. And that's not all. I had another dream, actually, about 10 years later. And um, I was on a train, and I was with my mother and my father, and my niece at that time was a little girl. And we were having a lovely train ride. And then I smelt something, and instinctively I knew it was poison. And I saw these men, nobody else seemed to see them. And they were dressed in um, protective gear, you know, covered from head to toe, and they had aerosols, and they were spraying poison out, and it was killing everybody on the train. And I, I was telling, you know, my mother and my father and a man, it must come, we've got to jump off this train, because it wasn't going very fast. And they wouldn't believe me. I told them what was happening, and they would not believe me. And I tried to persuade them, and eventually I persuaded them, and all three of us jumped off the train into safety. And that was the end of that dream. And then, um, like another 10 years later, I had a dream, and I was in a large hall, and I was dancing for joy. I'd never seen myself dancing like that, because I'd done ballroom dancing, Latin American dancing, but not this kind of dancing. It was jumping up and down with absolute joy, with a lot of other people who you know, I, I didn't know. And there appeared a man, a, a tall, beautiful man, dressed in white. And he just came and stood in the middle of the hall. And I remember dancing up to him, and I saluted him, my captain. And I gave him my total obedience. You are captain of my life. And I saw a man out of the corner of my eye, who I'd never seen before, but I remembered what he looked like, and I would meet him years later. And that was the end of that dream. I, I didn't understand these dreams, really. I didn't know exactly what they were saying. But all the time, they were making me more aware of God. And I remember feeling such joy and such love for that captain. And of course, I realized now it was Jesus, the captain of my life, the love of my life the deep love of my life. And then um, a little while later, I had another dream, and I was dressed all in white, and I had never seen a baptism service in my life. Although I'd gone to um, you know, the local church with my parents, 
nobody ever was baptized fully, fully immersed. And I was dressed all in white, and there were other people there also. And I went down into the river, and, and somebody plunged me under the water. And I came up, and I was so happy. Again, I didn't really understand, but after I received the Lord, then I realized what God was telling me. But you know, during the time of these dreams, this is the grace of God. Um, I had gone down a slippery slope, um, and I got involved in New Age beliefs. So slippery was that slope that I eventually denied that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. I said he was a Son of God, and that, he, oh yes, he'd um, been resurrected, but anyone could do that if they were spiritual enough. Dangerous place. How did I get to that place? Um, my parents and I, we went to Australia to, to visit my auntie, and on the way there, we met um, a really nice lady. Um, she worked in, um, in London, and she had um, relatives in Australia, just like us. And we got on so well, and we chatted, and she talked about um, the Truth Forum and the reason for life. And she, um, later on, when we got back to England, um, we, we kept contact, and her, both her parents died. And she went off to the Spiritist Association, and um, she received great comfort from there because she thought she was contacting her parents. Actually, she was not, but she thought she was, and so she told me about it. I thought, well, that sounds good. I'll do that too. And so I visited there very frequently. And I used to go in the chapel there, and I had this hunger inside me, but it could never be fulfilled. I couldn't understand it. Um, anyway, the result for me of going to, um, into the occult was that suddenly I was struck with a debilitating, horrendously painful disease. It just, it just came like that out of a clear blue sky. I was all right when I went to bed, and when I woke up, I was in agony. I was agony in my shoulders, in my elbows, in my hands. My shoulders, both shoulders were locked, com completely free the day before absolutely locked and I, I couldn't get, you know, I, I had to feed like this and I had to put my head down to the fork. Well, anyway, it rapidly spread to all my joints. Constant pain. The only way I can describe it was like raging toothache in every joint. And it, I felt like I could count my joints. And I would be so tired and at night time I'd lie down and i think, oh, you know, to get some rest and some peace. But in fact, it was worse. And it was like daggers going through my sternum. And I took lots of painkillers and anti-inflammatory drugs, and they never stopped the pain, not once. Um, but it, they brought it down to a manageable level. And I remember watching the clock thinking, when can I get my next fix of drugs? And the disability increased daily. Now, if you've got a disability in pain, but each day you're getting a little bit better, it's bearable. But if each day you're getting worse, it is very discouraging. And I remember being in absolute despair. I wanted to die. And I used to line up all the drugs that I had. And I thought, if I take all these, then I can finish it. You know, I'm not going to be in any more pain. And I thank God, actually, for a godly fear of death. Um, at nighttime, I would think, I wonder what it's like to die. Do you go down 
And often, actually, as I was falling asleep, I would feel as though I was falling into a pit. Um, and I was afraid to sleep many times, actually. And I thought, well, do you just cease to exist? What happens when you die? Unfortunately, I was afraid to die because at that time, had I died, I would have gone to hell. There is a place called hell. And that's why I kept feeling I was falling down. And I kept feeling as though I was dying, but in fact, I didn't have a disease that would kill me immediately. Anyway, I used to visit my GP twice a week, and I know he got tired of it because one day he nipped out and left me in, in the waiting room. <laughs> I don't blame him. I really don't, because there was nothing he could do. Um, and in absolute despair, I went to the health food shop. And I bumped into a lady that um, I had known when I worked as a medical secretary called um, Jeannie. What a divine appointment. You know, as you pray, God will give you the key words to open someone's prison door. All she said to me was, Hillary, where are you working now? And that opened the doorway. And I said, I can't work because my, my limbs were so heavy and I used to keep my hands in my coat pockets to try and take the weight off of my shoulders. And I said, I, I, I can't work. I'm in pain all the time. And she said, look, God healed me of cervical spondylosis. He'll heal you too. And I thought, yeah, cows could fly. But you know, the English, we're polite. Oh, yes. Hmm. And she said that she would take me to a healing meeting. There was this wonderful evangelist called Fred Smith who had a healing ministry. And I thought, yeah, you know, I bet. Anyway, she was as good as her word. She came to our house, and she said she was going to take me to the healing meeting. Um, I did not want to go, so I told her, please go away. I do not want to go. The second evening, she called, and I had taken an overdose of the drugs. And I had this floaty feeling like I wasn't really in my body. And I heard her, my father remonstrating with her, and I heard her say, you know, we're taking an ambulance. And my father came in to talk to me, and I said, get that crazy woman out of here. So he shooed her out. Don't ever give up. She came the third night. She had got the whole congregation to pray for me. My father was out, and he was a bit like my guard dog, so I didn't have that protection, as it were. And she marched in, and she said, you are coming tonight. This is your last chance. And actually, those were prophetic words. So she took me to the Oxford Town Hall. And I had to be helped up all those stairs. And um, I was so offended by the sermon because Fred Smith, um, he spoke against spiritism. And I thought, who does this man think he is? These are my friends. They're good people. And I do remember him talking about the Lamb's Book of Life. I had never heard in all the times that my parents took me to church I had never heard about the Lamb's Book of Life. And there was a voice inside my head that I'd never heard before, and praise God, I will never hear again. And it was saying, as he was speaking, cod swallop, load of rubbish, don't believe it. But God, you know, thank God for the anointing. Thank God for people who pray. There were people in that auditorium who were praying. And... As he gave the invitation to come forward to receive Jesus, 
I knew that I knew that if I didn't go forward, I'd die. And I believed that God was giving me a last chance to repent of my sins, to repent of denigrating his son, and to receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And if I'd been in God's place, I would have, because I was arrogant, because I thought, you know, I don't particularly want to go forward. What happens if anybody sees me that knows me? And if I'd been God, I'd have said, look, go back, get your heart right, and then you can come back again. But God is so merciful. God has been so merciful to me. And it was in such contrast to my prideful attitude. I love this scripture. Um, Ephesians 2, 1 to 6. And you he made alive, this describes me, who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world. The sin that I was in was spiritual adultery. I had another God, not the true and living God. According to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, if ever I was a son of disobedience, that was me, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and has raised us up together, and made us sit in heavenly places in Christ. And you know, Fred gave an invitation for salvation. As I said, I had denied Jesus, but God received me. I took those few faltering steps towards him and he received me, you know, as the father received the prodigal son in his extravagant love. And um, after I'd received eternal life, you know, they gave a little talk to us and I sat down with my mother and nothing in my life really pre prepared me for this. Right in front of me, I had my eyes wide open, it was an open vision, I saw a woman and underneath was her name, Elizabeth Wharton. And I knew that I knew that that lady had prayed me into the kingdom of heaven. I had met that lady when I was working on the ships with Union Carshall Shipping Company um, at Cape Town. She'd come on the ship. None of the other female officers would have anything to do with her. And I just felt sorry for her. But that wonderful woman, she'd sent me a birthday card for the rest of the days of her life. And I just thought, oh, that's nice, you know, popped it on one side. And I received a letter from my husband saying that um, Elizabeth had died. And I thought, oh, pity. Then he died, and I thought, oh, pity. Didn't think any more of these dear people. Now, if you saw these, this wonderful man and, and gentleman in the street, you wouldn't even look twice. But anyway, um, God showed me that she'd prayed me into the kingdom of heaven. Don't ever, ever give up praying for someone because she died before she ever saw any results of her prayers for me. But do you know, Elizabeth will get a reward because, or, or share in the reward of anything that I've done for the Lord. So keep on praying. Don't give up. God hears and answers your prayers. And then Fred gave an invitation to be healed. And um, nothing, again, in my life could have prepared me for this experience. It was absolutely wonderful. 
Um, Fred looked me in the eyes, his beautiful blue eyes, and he said, God has saved your soul. He will heal your body. And I was in terrible pain at the time, and I could hardly stand up straight. And he laid his hand on my head, and he commanded the spirit of arthritis to leave in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And the pain increased a hundredfold. I wanted to scream. You know, demons come out sometimes when you scream, but I was English, so you don't scream. And suddenly I felt an amazing power go literally in the top of my head. And it was amazingly powerful, but very gentle, and very warm. And it slowly went through from the top of my head to the tips of my toes. And as it went through, it took all the pain, all the pain went. And I remember floating backwards and somebody caught me, laid me down. And I felt, you could only think it was like electricity, but this power that was running up and down my arms, my legs, all over me. And then Fred came and helped me to my feet and he said, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, raise your arms. And I thought, he doesn't know, I can't. But I thought, better do as he said. And as I began to obey, my arms were, were like lifted by a supernatural force. They were light, they were free. I had total mobility. And the pain had completely gone. I was healed from the top of my head to the soles of my feet. And you know, I just wanted to bring out that he used in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the one whom I denied. He used that name twice. One, to command the spirit of arthritis to leave me, and two, to command me to obey his instructions, to receive the fullness of my healing. And in Acts chapter 3, um, verse 6, Peter says, silver and gold, this is the man that was lame from birth and he'd been sitting at the, um, at the gate. And he said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. His name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. And he went on to say, there is salvation, nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved and healed. Two weeks after the town hall, um, I happened to walk in, my parents were looking at a TV program. Now I need to say that nobody else saw this, nobody else heard it. I asked them, they, they, what are you talking about? And my eyes were wide open and on the television screen, it was preach the gospel, heal the sick. And it like, whew, and I knew that I knew that that's what God had commissioned me to do. Because Jesus says in Mark 16, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. He who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Exactly what happened to me. And you know, I needed deliverance from the occult. And um, Canon Michael Green um, explained to me that all my occult books were landing pads for evil, evil spirits. And it was then that I repented and I burnt of all, all my books. And so if you've been involved in the occult, you, beloved, you need to turn from it with all your heart. Don't have fond memories. The reason I delayed was I had fond memories. But there are no fond memories of being in the occult. 
and we need to repent with all our heart. Why? Because it's a door to spiritual and physical death. I tell you from my own experience. And then, you see, my father was deeply involved in Freemasonry, and he was very resistant to the gospel. Freemasonry was his God because he said, when I tried to share the gospel with him, he said, no, no, he said, when I die, I am going to the great lodge up in the sky. And, you know, I, I was so distraught about his, his spiritual situation. And then he became, five years later, he became very, very sick with um, carcinoma of the liver. And for weeks I prayed and wept. I used to go into the woods near where I lived and I would weep and cry, and, and cry out to God for my father's salvation. That was the thing that was really on my heart as, as well as healing. Well, anyway, I had just one more opportunity, two weeks. I didn't realize it would be two weeks before he died. And he looked so ill and I was alone with him, which was a wonderful opportunity. And I was sitting at his feet and I shared the gospel with him. And he was willing to pray the prayer then to receive Jesus as his Lord and Savior. But he had tremendous difficulty in saying when he got to the words, Jesus be my Lord and Savior. It's like he was choking. And it was like um, there was this hush. And he got the words out. And I had an open vision again. And it was simply amazing because I was very aware that I was sitting by my father but I was also in heaven at the same time. And I was in heaven, and the angels and the saints were jumping and shouting and leaping with joy over my father receiving Christ. And I looked at my dad's face, and it changed from someone who was gaunt and deathly ill to rosy cheeks and a beatific smile on his face. And he turned from Freemasonry. And two weeks later, he went home to be with the Lord. Did I believe him to be healed? Yes. And God showed me later on that my father actually wanted to die. He was tired of living. And God gave him what he wanted, not what I wanted. And I know that he's safe with Jesus. And I love this scripture. Again, um, I say to you, Jesus speaking, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just people who need no repentance. God and all heaven rejoices when we repent and we turn to Christ. And then I had another open vision. This was after my mother had died, which is like 12 years later. And I was so distressed. And Derek just said very quietly to me, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And immediately I had an open vision and my mother was with the Lord nestled under his arm, and she was saying to me, darling, I wished I had come much sooner. And all that grief and all that sorrow just left. You know, God's a passionate, loving God. He has been so good to me, and he wants you to open your heart to him and receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. May I lead you in a prayer? Father God, I believe that Jesus Christ is your son, that he died and paid the penalty for my sins, that he's rose from the dead and is alive forevermore. I receive by faith in the name of Jesus that wonderful gift of eternal life. Amen.